0: At this time of the service, we're going to dive into God's word together. So I encourage you to open God's word. We're going to be in Hebrews 3, 7 through 14. I'm going to invite Deb Fry up as we dive into God's word together. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today." that that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Thank you, Deb, for reading. So imagine with me, you are a teacher. And on this particular day, it's a few seconds before you are giving a test and you care about your class, and you've noticed some tendencies when you give tests. And so on this particular day, you tell your class, you mention how one time, one of your best students rushed on a test. And because they were rushing, they made all sorts of careless mistakes. And so you draw that to their attention. And then you also tell your class that you've seen really good students who really know better, actually not read the whole question. And instead of reading the whole question, they, they pick up part of it, but they don't answer it completely. They go in a different direction than they needed to, all because they, they just weren't paying attention. They just weren't reading things carefully and got the wrong answer. And so you say to your class, be careful. Take your time. Read each question carefully. What you're doing in that moment, or at least what you're trying to do, is you're trying to say, be careful because what happened to previous students could happen to you, but it doesn't have to. What happened to previous students could happen to you, but it doesn't have to. It doesn't need to. I feel like that's the message of a lot of Hebrews, even particularly this passage, Is that things that have happened in the past could happen, but they don't need to. They don't have to. We do need to do some background information. And as we do that, we're going to kind of lay a foundation because there's a lot going on in Hebrews 3. And then I want us to draw a couple conclusions from that. So background wise, we're reading in Hebrews in like 2022. But but we need to appreciate a timeline here. So you see on the far right, here we are in 2022, reading Hebrews 3 and really Hebrews 4 are the same theme. But Hebrews 3 and 4 quote, as you read in the passage, the, the passage that Deb just read, they actually quote a good bit from Psalm 95, which was well, let's say 1000 BC, close to it, it's called the Psalm of David. But Psalm 95 that Hebrews 3 is quoting is actually a reference to events that happened in Numbers, the book of Numbers, the third book of the Bible, Numbers 13 and 14 specifically. So I think for us to appreciate all that's going on, we have to realize exactly where things are. We're we're in 2022, but it's kind of looking back to Numbers 13 and 14, and we don't have time to dig into all of 13, 14. But I just want to acknowledge what Hebrews 3 and 4 is telling us in 2022 is what happened to them, could happen to you, but it doesn't have to, but it doesn't have to. So what exactly did go down in Numbers 13 and 14 that Psalm 95 draws attention to, that Hebrews 3 and 4 draws attention to, and that we're learning from today? Again, we don't have time to really go into every single detail, but Numbers 13 and 14, Israel has come out of slavery bondage in Egypt. So they've come out, they've been, they've been rescued from that, but they're right at the camp of a place called Kadesh. They're right at a camp ready to enter the promised land or, or Canaan or, or modern day Palestine. They're, they're right there on the edge of that. This was the land that God had promised. This was always the goal. God was going, to bring them out of Egypt and land them in the land that he had promised to their fathers, their grandfathers, their great grandfathers. I mean, going way, way back. This was the goal. So the Israelites are at Kadesh. They're right on the verge of going into the promised land and they send some scouts or some spies into the land to see what the land is like. Many of you who are familiar with that story in Numbers 13 and 14 know that the scouts go in and they come back. There are 12 of them and 10 come back and they give what is called in the Bible a bad report. What they say is we can't do it. We, we, what are we thinking? We can't go into that land, move all the occupants out. It, they're, they're just too strong. They're too fortified. This isn't going to work. And the people of Israel find their report, these scouts' report, so persuasive. They begin to pile on and go, yeah, it's, it's a lot. What are, we, what are we doing? It's like all seems lost. And the commentary from Psalm 95 is this wasn't just like a, a bad strategic decision or a poor military decision. The commentary of Psalm 95 is this was actually a faith issue, a rejection of trust in God. That's what was going on. So when they come right to the verge uh, and they don't go in, I think we've got to be at least fair to them. They had to feel like they're in a very vulnerable spot. They can't go back from you know, where they came from. They can't go there because they came from Egypt. Going forward seems very, very difficult. They don't know the future. In their own strength, the facts are they don't have the resources in their own strength. These aren't military trained men. They, they don't have strength in, on their own. So actually, as they begin to process things, it's not that hard for me to relate. It's not hard for me to relate to them thinking like, you know what? If we go in there, we are going to put ourselves in the middle of danger. And thinking about any dangerous situation inevitably will trigger some ideas of fear and anxiety and worry. We haven't been there before. What's going to happen? And I wonder if some of that's going on as well as some just disappointment. I mean, they come out of Egypt. They had had like this promise they're going to be, you know, free. They're going to be rescued. They're going to have... All the land that they would ever want, they're going to actually own the land. They're going to be their own nation, their own country. And now disappointment sets in. There's some dashing of expectations because they thought life would go one way. And clearly it's not going to go that way. And the way it is going to go is a way that's going to be very, very difficult. Very, very hard. And there's something about when you have... Expectations and they get dashed, and somehow life now seems like it's going to be a lot harder. It does begin to send our heart, if we're not careful, in, into some places. There's actually some words. The people of Israel, in Numbers 13, 14, they made a choice. We actually read in Hebrews 3, some of the words describing the choice or the pattern of choices they make. It really is a catastrophe. In verse 8, it says they hardened their hearts and they rebelled. Verse 9 says, the choice they made on the verge of going into the promised land was one where they decided to put God to the test. God, do you are you really? I mean, God, do you, do you plan on doing this? Do you plan on doing that? The choice they made in verse 10 is described as going astray in their heart. Also in verse 10, they. They're said like they they don't really even know God's ways. In verse 17, it says that they sinned. In verse 18, it says they became disobedient. In verse 19, it says they were their life was being driven by unbelief. Opportunity to depend and trust in God, which is always what humans are that's what we're designed to do. That's not a That's not a bug. It's a feature of being human. We're designed to not have everything that we need on our own, which is why we need God. We have to depend on him. But now they go in an entirely different direction. It's a progression of they don't remember who God is. They listen very skeptically. Well, can God really help here? They drift. They engage less. They fall into unbelief, rebellion. They harden their heart. They put God to the test. And ultimately, they drift away. They fall away. The progression just seems like it gets away from you in a hurry. I don't, I don't know that you ever, like, set out to do all that in a day, but it is amazing how momentum can gather. So that's the story of the Israelites in Numbers 13 and 14. They encountered things that made them feel their own vulnerabilities. First and foremost on my mind today is, okay, Hebrews is saying this could happen to us. There might be things that we encounter that make us feel our weakness that could begin a spiral down if we're not careful. It could be that there is something in our past that just seems to haunt us, that we can't escape. It keeps coming back and back. Maybe a family issue, family dysfunction. It may be a poor set of choices. It may be addiction. It may be abuse. And it has the net effect of, something in the past has the net effect of almost paralyzing you in the present and maybe it isn't like you're just going to make like this horrible train wreck of your life and make a bunch of decisions that nobody in your you know, nobody close to you would be proud of. But maybe it's just like a guard goes up and a, a, another callus goes, spiritually speaking, and you just get a little bit less inclined, a little bit less interested in thinking, what does God want from me? A little bit less interested in praising and thanking, a little more turned inward. It could be that you feel the heat of pressure or persecution. I I remind myself pretty regularly that while we gather here on Sunday, and I'm grateful for the freedom to worship, worship freely and confess things that matter to us and say these things and sing these things. I don't know how many, but I'm guessing it's several. It's many of you that on Monday it gets very very intense and you have to do you have to do a lot of mental calculus to what to how am i going to stand for my convictions and what i believe in and not wander from that when i get pressure and persecution when i get mocked by a coworker or a boss or or a direct report when when my values don't seem to align and it gets hard to know exactly okay, what do I say? How do I hold on to things that I know to be true? How do I be faithful to Jesus and what he said and not compromise on that? But yes, also try to live in this world and try to do work for an employer. How do do I navigate all those kinds of things? And some of you feel that pressure and where you are with the Lord doesn't seem to be sustainable. It seems like something's gonna give and you're maybe even fearful of like, I don't wanna walk away from the Lord. I don't wanna compromise what I believe. But it just feels like get this unrelenting pressure, maybe even from a friend that is a so-called friend anyway, that's trying to drag you in a different direction. Or maybe it's not any of that. It's that you are bombarded with circumstances that have gotten painful that make it hard to trust. Maybe it's a tragedy that has made you doubt. It's not necessarily like you're going to walk away and never go to church again. It's not that. But it's enough, it's enough to kind of shake your confidence and like you find doors are being opened to questions that you thought, like I never thought I'd ask that, but I, I'm asking it, I'm, I'm wrestling with it. And maybe it's an intense disappointment and frankly, maybe that intense disappointment is even by people that would claim to be Christians, people that are Christians. And all of it has had a way of like really, really shaking you the assumption of Hebrews is this. If the people of Israel, if they could have their faith shaken and it end and kind of devolve into walking away from God and depending on him, then it could happen to us. But again, the message of Hebrews is loud and clear. It doesn't have to. Given that it... It's not a picnic walking by faith, given that this life is hard, given that we're going to feel pressure and persecution, we're going to have this pain that we deal with, given, given that we are, all of us are going to have something in our past that, that does make it hard to move forward at times. Given all that, what does it take for it not to like totally shipwreck our faith, totally to mess us to mess us up, to take us off track, to, to like avoid getting calluses on our heart and that we're not as in tune to the Lord? What does it take? What I actually find is the writer of Hebrews gives us a couple couple of gifts that will help us avoid that happening. So one of those gifts I want to call is like you have the gift of today. I think that's one of the messages, one of the things we're supposed to hear from this passage in Hebrews is you have the gift of today. And there's something about even seeing it. It seems like that's like a preschool cartoon or something. That's the lesson for the day. Or some self-help guru would tell you, you have the gift of today. We all would feel warm and fuzzy inside. But actually the message of Hebrews takes that in a very specific way. And I want you to see that because the word today comes up several times in Hebrews 3 And four, Hebrews 3, 7, Deborah read it a minute ago. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. It doesn't even talk about tomorrow. It says today, if you hear it. And then verse 13, exhort one another, encourage one another every day, as long as it is called today. In verse 15, as it is said today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. And it extends even into verse four or chapter four, two more times mentioning today. That's the message. I mean, that's the message we've got to hear is that God is at work today. Even though you feel, and I might feel, like I've messed things up. Even though I feel like I'm kind of tapped out and I don't really have any more strength. Even though I feel like I'm discouraged and I have no margin, no bandwidth for anything more, things to go wrong in my life There is a message for us as Christians that today, God is at work. Don't harden your heart. And if you're not yet a Christian, if you have not yet identified with Jesus as your Savior, as your Lord, there's another message here, and that is, you have today. You may think, like, I can't avoid my bad progression of life. I have messed up my life so many times, and I've hurt so many people, and it's just going to be that again. And, and there's no, no matter what I do, I'm just going to hurt others, and I'm going to mess things up. And yet, here's a voice for us today. For those considering who Jesus is and what he's done, there is today, today, right now, the Holy Spirit speaking. That's what verse 7 says. Just as the Holy Spirit says today... Don't harden your hearts. He's convicting. He's pointing things out. He has your number. He has my number. He has all of our numbers. And today he he knows how to make us even uncomfortable for our good. And sometimes that is painful. Sometimes it's like a jackhammer going to our heart. But he knows how to like make our heart not so hard. He knows how to make it sensitive. And then there's that moment. Are you going to respond to that even when it gets uncomfortable? He knows how to speak. He knows how to give words of hope. He knows how to remind you today that regardless of how lonely you felt all week, he knows where you are, he sees and he knows. He says, I, "I am here today." There's an invitation. We talk about the gospel or the good news, and that's an invitation. And it's an invitation for today. It's that God, the God who sees all, who has made all, who knows everything. That God loves you and came to deal with the thing that wrecks everything, and that is sin. The choices we make, the world we live in, the environment we're a part of. He came all that would wreck and ruin our life. He came to deal with that. And there's good news that today, today, there's an opportunity to rely on him. You have the gift of today. It's so easy to live in despair because of the past. And somewhat in, in fear and anxiety because of the future, but you have today. Do we, do we realize the gift of today? Because we need to realize what, what happened to them could happen to us, but we have the gift of today. It doesn't have to. As you go back into that story in the Old Testament, remember that group of scouts go into the promised land and they come back to the people of Israel. And 10 of them say, it just can't, like we cannot we can't go there. And what happens with those 10, again, kind of going back into that numbers 13, 14, is that, that 10 have this influence. And, and there's a community of Israelites and it devolves into a community of complaining. Like, God, what are you doing? Moses, what are you doing? Aaron, what are you doing? How, how could you ever have brought us into this place? A community that didn't help each other believe. But actually, just kind of spiraled down as a whole community, saying, What is going on? It's interesting as I reread Numbers 13 and 14, as I reread Psalm 95, as I reread Num- Hebrews 3 and 4, I was just reminded again, it wasn't as it wasn't as if they were saying, God didn't really help us in the past. It's not as if they were saying, yeah, the plagues in Egypt and the exodus and the parting of the Red Sea, those were all figments of our imagination. They don't say that, but what they do, where they, the trap they seem to fall into is to say, yeah, that all happened, but that was then and this is now. And I'm not sure what God did then is going to help us in this situation right here and now. I find that, I find that is so easy at times what God says, the Bible, what you thought before, what you had learned, you encounter a situation, you go, I'm not sure that helps anything now. You find yourself skeptical. You find yourself doubting. You find yourself overcome with fear, and it's so dangerous. It's so dangerous that even the writer of Hebrews is going to say, you have to be on guard because this is the deceitfulness of sin saying... Yeah, that, I mean, we're in 2022. I don't know what ancient people said back then, but this is now. And the writer of Hebrews is going to say, be careful. As a matter of fact, look at, look at what he says in verse 12. So he says, take care, brothers, we could add, and sisters, take care. Take care that there is not this, in, in any of you, this evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But instead of that, exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, for we have come to share in Christ. If indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end, be careful, be careful. But in there, in those verses, I also see another gift embedded, and that's not just the gift of today, but it's also the gift of what I'm going to call an all-hands-on-deck community. Do you, you know that phrase, all-hands-on-deck. It means every single person is going to be, need, be needed. A team, we need everybody playing, everybody doing their part. Uh, a, a mission, a focus, we need everybody. We need all hands on deck. There's not going to be any like bystanders. There's not going to be any busy work here. We need everybody engaged, all hands on deck. And that is what Hebrews says. That's what we have That's what we're going to need to combat, the deceitfulness of sin. We're going to need each other. Look at verse 12 again, or verse 13. It says, exhort one another every day. Exhort one another every day. So what is going to keep us from an evil, unbelieving heart destroying us? What's going to prevent the drift from becoming like a full, falling away from the living God, as Hebrews says? Serious stuff. What's going to remind me that I actually do share in Christ? What's going to help me hold my confidence firm to the end? Yes, it will be God, but God works through a community where everybody is, everybody is working together for us to all hold our confidence firm to the end. The words here, exhort one another every day so that none of you become hardened, have your heart hardened, exhort if it means anything, it, it certainly means something verbal, some word of encouragement, it's maybe a word of correction, maybe a word of warning, maybe a word of hope, maybe a, a prayer, maybe it's a reminder that I'm with you, but exhort one another, speak to each other. Come alongside and help. So if the stakes are that high, do I have those voices of encouragement? Do I have those voices of exhortation to me? a uh, question for you. Have you given anybody that kind of access to say, If you see me headed down a path, you need to call me on it and I give you full permission and invitation to ask questions. I invite you to to help me navigate this thing called walking by faith in Jesus. Help me. If you see me get off track, have you welcomed that? Have you encouraged that? Have Have you put yourself in places where that's going to happen? Have you invited someone to into your life where they may even say something that you don't necessarily want to hear, but you know you need to. See, you have to plan on that in advance because in the moment, your heart may get hardened and you're like, you just turn everybody off. You don't listen. Do, Do we realize exhorting one another, do you realize also that you could be that voice of encouragement? You could be the one looking out, listening. You could be the one and it doesn't really mean like you're an expert in all things related to the Bible. It doesn't mean that you have all the answers when a teacher asks a question. You have all the answers. It just assumes every single person who is in Christ who has the Holy Spirit brings something to the table. Something that we all need. Something that I may need Monday. Something that you may need Tuesday. Something that we, we may need in a month from now and someone's going to speak. The words are Intense. It's telling us like, if you have a, I'm going to go it alone strategy when it comes to walking with Christ, I'm just going to go it alone. It's a worthless strategy. It's telling us something intense. We're going to need help and it's going to have to be every day. Take care, exhort one another every day. Do we have that kind of access? Because this is what will happen. You begin to go down a path and you begin to do something that your conscience tells you that you know God's word says, like, that's not, that's not, that's not what you should do. And in that moment, you may not be so sensitive. You, you may actually tell yourself, hey, it really doesn't matter. I think it's okay. It's not that big of a deal. And then it becomes a habit. And then the rationalizations start. Like, well, I mean... Nobody really needs to know. Everybody does it. This is the way the world is now. I mean, it's just kind of part of it. And I wish people would stop being so legalistic. And you know what? I think God just wants me to be happy. So that just gives me a blanket to say every decision I make that I think make, might make me happy is like God's totally on board with. And then someone who loves you speaks into that. and goes, wait a minute. I love you too much not to say something. And you lean in and you listen and it's uncomfortable and it's no fun for probably anybody involved. But your heart gets open. It's like the voice of the Lord is speaking every day. Every day is like one of these 100% words. Like, I'm going to need that voice coming. And, and it also tells us the goal of us is that none of us would Drift. None of us, which just tell me that it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how long I've been a Christian. It doesn't matter how how much I, I've studied the Bible or how, how good I think I am. It, it doesn't matter. All of us may have this potential to drift. I love the words. Uh, one of my favorite books on this subject was written by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, which what he writes, he writes in like full strength because he was living in like the early stages of Nazi Germany. It was kind of a lone voice speaking, like speaking God's word in a culture that was just falling apart. And, and maybe that gave him some windows into things. Uh, listen to this. He says, God has willed that we should seek and find his living word in the witness of a brother in the mouth of another human being. Therefore, the Christian needs another Christian who speaks God's word to him. He needs him again and again when he becomes uncertain and discouraged for by himself, he cannot help himself. He needs his brother as a rescuer, as a bearer and proclaimer of the divine word of salvation. He needs his brother solely because of Jesus Christ. And then look at at this quote as well. When Christians live together when we have a life together at some time and in some way, it must come to the point that one Christian personally declares God's word and will to another. Just inconceivable that the things that are most important to each individual should not be discussed with one another. Inconceivable, he says. If you've been on the receiving end of someone exhorting you sometimes saying something that you didn't want to hear or sometimes saying exactly what you needed to hear and you desperately wanted to hear, then all of this rings true. I actually want our worship team to come in a moment. We're going to sing about God's grace and it's their coming. At the beginning, if we go all the way back to the beginning of this message, I I ask you to imagine the classroom and I imagine you giving the test, but often often it feels like we're not giving tests, we're taking them. I mean, it felt like multiple times this week, it felt like, God, this feels like a test. And I have to be reminded that that test isn't to destroy my faith, it's to grow. It's to build me up, not tear me down. It's so that I'd be more like Jesus, not less. And we've seen today that I, I'm positive tests are coming. If, if not this afternoon, this week, I'm positive. But you have a gift Actually, in this passage, you have a couple gifts. So one of those gifts is the gift of today. You can take steps today, and you'll take steps toward him, and you'll find he is eager to meet you. We're going to sing grace that is greater than our sin, and you're going to find God's grace. He is ready to meet you, eager to walk you all the way home. And you have the gift of other believers. So that's one reason why we sing as we sing to each other remind ourselves, I may not have a strong heart believing today, but you might. I may need a conversation before or after the service. Being a part of a community that cares deeply enough to talk to each other and to listen when brothers and sisters come close. Grace, grace, God's grace.